Blessed Monday, Thursday, whatnot, the podcast listeners. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here, Pastor St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus Staff Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. A couple of Monday, th- uh, Thursday thoughts that I don't think will make it into the sermon tonight, but uh, that are on my mind today. Who knows? Maybe they will. The first is the washing of the disciples' feet. It's an incredible thing to think about. Uh, at some point, I've seen an image, a painting, with Jesus washing Peter's feet, and Peter's hands are in his head, covering up his tears. Uh, there's a famous painting of that. I, I, in my imagination, see a less famous painting. I've never been able to find it since. If you know of that, then send it to me, please. But it's an amazing thing to see Jesus with a towel wrapped around him, kneeling down and doing what was even below the work and the dignity of a disciple. And the disciples in every other way were kind of like servants to their masters, except for this, that even a disciple wouldn't wash their master's feet. That belonged only to the slaves. But we are, remember, uh, ponton dulon, we're slaves to all. Jesus uh, becomes slave even to us. He, he goes and humbles himself to the washing of the disciples' feet. And when he comes to Peter, Peter says, no, Lord, you can't do it. It's just, it's too much. I can't take it. It's to see you there on your knees washing my feet. I should wash your feet. And Peter says, Lord, you can't do it. And Jesus says to Peter, it has to be so. If I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And then Peter, which is kind of just how Peter was, he flips the other direction. He says, well, Lord, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash my whole body. If the feet are good, then, then wash all of me. And Jesus says, you're already clean except your feet, but not all of you. He's talking about Judas. But it's an amazing thing to, to see those twin errors of Peter as the two categories of theological error when it comes to worship. I remember... Wow, I remember this like it was yesterday. We were walking from the hotel where we were staying to the seminary in Pretoria, South Africa, walking down through the street, and there was about five of us visiting the seminary. This must have been probably 12 years ago. And um, and Pastor Golter was there. He was district president at the time, and he looked over and he said, Brian, you ready to preach this morning? <laughs> and so I... <laughs> We would have walked right into the chapel, and this was the text, the washing of the disciples' feet. And it occurred to me as I was preaching, maybe I do it with my best thinking on my feet, that, that Peter made these two mistakes that we also make during worship. On the one hand, we say, no, no, uh, we are here to worship you, Lord, to serve you, not you to serve us. So we change the direction. We make worship about our works and and the Lord is the recipient of our works. That's wrong. Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Or remember, after the Lord's Supper in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus gives this little mini riddle parable. He says, who's greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? And the answer is the one who sits at the table. The waiters are there to wait on the people who are eating. But Jesus says, I am among you as the one who serves. And that's how it was, and that's how it is. Jesus still comes to serve us. That's the chief thing in worship. 
Now, we respond with thanksgiving and praise and adulation, petitions. We, we love the Lord, but we love because he first loves us. His service to us is that it is always first in every way, chronologically, uh, of emphasis and importance. Jesus comes to serve us. He washes our feet, not the other way around. He forgives our sins. He suffers for us. It's the way it goes with Jesus. But then there's a there's another error on the other side that says that if the Lord is going to be the servant, if the Lord is going to serve, then let him be the servant and do what I say. Let him give me what I want. I'll determine how he should do his giving. So Peter says, wash my whole body then. If you're going to be the servant, wash my let me be the Lord, I'll tell you what to do. And Jesus says, no, this is also wrong. He is not the servant who serves. He is the Lord who serves. So we normally would say it like this. The servant serves, the Lord is served, but Jesus remain he keeps the noun but he switches the verb or vice versa, whatever. He is the Lord who serves. But he remains the Lord, which means that it's up to Jesus to determine how he will serve. And this might not suit us. We might want health and wealth and happiness and all this other kind of stuff, but Jesus has determined to give us forgiveness of sins and baptism, his body and blood, his promises. He doesn't take us out of the trouble of this world. He promises to be with us. And we're like, Peter, Lord, do this for me, do that. And Jesus says, no, no. I'll determine what you need and I'll give it to you. So we see in this washing of the disciples' feet uh, how the Lord himself determines how he will come and serve. And you just think of Peter with his hands in his face and thinking about this and says, is this, is this how humble you'll be? And Jesus can say to them, just wait till tomorrow. One other thought about Monday, Thursday. Uh, this is the night that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. But there's language that he uses there that we pass over, I think, too quickly. And that is the language of New Testament. Or in every English translation, except for the King James, New Covenant. Testament's better. Remember the difference between a covenant and a testament is that a covenant goes until death and a testament starts at death. So marriage, for example, is a covenant. A person's will is a testament. It goes into effect at the death of the testator. Uh, We talk about the old covenant that would end only with the death of the one who gave it, God. (laughs) And we talk about the New Testament, which begins at the death of the one who gave it. But anyway, Jesus uh, says, a new covenant I give to you. In fact, he, sa- he says it like this. Take and drink. This is the cup of the New Testament. Now, that should bring to mind the contrast of the Old Covenant. And there's multiple Old Covenants. We'll remember that the Lord made a... And the Reformed love to talk about all these different covenants. The dispensationalists, okay, they, they go crazy with these covenants. And the Lutherans mostly don't... I don't know, it's, it's, it hasn't captured our imagination in a real profound way, but, but perhaps it should a little bit. Covenant is when the Lord comes and he makes a promise and then he seals it with some sort of sign. And so with Adam and Eve in the garden, he makes the covenant of the, of the seed crushing the head of the serpent and he seals it with a sign of the 
clothing that he gives to Adam and Eve. After the flood recedes and Noah comes off the ark, there's another kind of a reboot of the initial covenant that the Lord made with Adam and Eve there with Noah and his family. The Lord comes to Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarah, Sarai, and makes a, a covenant, gives a sign of circumcision that goes there. But the but the chief covenant of the Old Testament and the one that Jesus is replacing with the word new is the covenant that the Lord made with the people through Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, this takes almost a year to establish this covenant. It starts with the 10 plagues and the Lord rescuing the people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, bringing them through the Red Sea and then back to Mount Sinai and and leading them all the way to the mountain by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And then when he finally settles then on the mountain, he speaks the Ten Commandments and calls Moses up to give instruction for life and for worship and gives instruction for the tabernacle, which would become the temple, and for the sacrifices, and for the priesthood, and for the liturgy of the Old Testament. He gives them ordinances for how they are to live together, and he writes the moral law on stone, on the Ten Commandments, and gives it to the people. And and so the Lord establishes all of this, all of these things, as what we now call the Old Covenant. It was just then the covenant. It was the covenant that Peter and James and John and Andrew, Nathaniel, and Judas, and all the disciples knew. It was the covenant that the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and Sadducees, were living under. Now, it had been changed, reinterpreted, etc. I mean, first uh, by the Pharisees, and then by the Sadducees, as as the temple especially was built, and then destroyed, and then rebuilt. But it was under that um, governance that the Lord instituted that preaching and that life and that service that the Lord instituted on Mount Sinai that determined everything about the life of Israel. Everything. It was the covenant. It was the promise. It is what made them the Lord's people. This fire, this pillar of fire on the mountain and this booming voice of God and the angels there and all of these great miracles. And then Jesus gathered together with his disciples and maybe a few others in an upper room in Jerusalem so many years ago, said, in humility, here's the new covenant. Now just contrast that booming voice of God that so frightened and terrified the people. He said, if even an animal touches the mountain, it has to be stoned. And the people all backed away and said to Moses, you go talk to God. We can't stand to hear his voice. All this glory of the of the 10 plagues and of the miracles that the Lord performed to rescue the people and all of this, this cloud of glory and everything that accompanied the old covenant. And now here in the new, simply the voice of Jesus with a piece of bread and a cup full of wine saying, take and eat. This is the take and drink. This is the new covenant, the new testament in my blood to shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. The contrast of the glory, the majesty, the frightfulness of the old covenant and the humility and the quietness And the peacefulness of the new, it is quite stunning to compare those. 
But when Jesus says that word new, the old now is obsolete. The sacrifices, the high priesthood, the temple, the Lord establishing the boundary of the people and setting them apart by what they wear and how they eat. All of this is old. What's new is that we are now clothed with the blood of Jesus. We are now circumcised in the heart by the gift of baptism. We are now set apart by the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins that comes in his death and resurrection. And even though it happens quietly, there's no pillar of fire or pillar of cloud and glory and everything like this, even though it happens quietly in this little upper room in the city of David, it is for us our life and hope and peace. There's a new way that the Lord is with us by the body and blood of Jesus. And that means that we are forgiven. That's what the New Testament means, that I will remember their iniquities and I will forgive their sins forevermore. So we rejoice in this newness that Jesus brings in the quiet of the first Monday Thursday, that he washed the disciples' feet and he continues to serve and cleanse us, that he feeds us his body and blood with the bread and the wine, and that today and always he forgives our sins. And God be praised. Thanks for hanging out on the WhatNot podcast today. Uh, if this is helpful, let me know. Maybe we'll do some Good Friday reflections as well. Otherwise, more theology at wolfmuller.co. God's peace be with you. Hey, this episode of the Whatnot Podcast is brought to you by Around the Word Classic Reprints, an explanation of the common service, outlines of doctrinal theology, the doctrinal theology of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. These are some out-of-print texts that are just gorgeous. We're dusting the dust off? Yeah, dusting the dust off republishing them for you. You can download them for free as PDFs, or you can order them as well, wolfmuller.co slash classics. You can find it there. I hope to add two new books to this catalog here in the next couple of weeks as well, so keep an eye out for the Compend of Lutheran Theology and A Life of Luther. We're going to add to that uh, as well, wolfmuller.co slash classics for around-the-word classic reprints. Hope that's helpful to help your theological library grow. If you got other suggestions, by the way, for that publishing work, let me know. Wolfmuller.co slash contact. Talk to you soon.